Welcome to Newer Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Thank you, team. Why don't you go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. Verses 8 to 15, God's been speaking to me so clearly from this passage this week. And um, I'm just really committed to making sure that we're following the Holy Spirit and we're not trying to make the Holy Spirit follow us. And Bible talks about when you come to the house of the Lord, let your words be few. Sometimes in the presence of the Lord, rather than us speaking, trying to make something happen, you just need to worship. Because five minutes of pure worship before the Lord and his manifest presence will transform you in ways that a lifetime of your efforts won't change you. And I don't know if we already had, because I darted out quickly to the restroom, Um, but welcome to all of our guests and visitors today. Did we honour our guests or we just went straight into the Word? We would love to get to know you and build a relationship with you, but more importantly, we want you to encounter Jesus. So... Let's enter into God's surgery room for a few moments. 1 Samuel 13, verse 8. Saul waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel the prophet. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favour of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. I want to speak to you today and ministering all day today, tonight, preaching something different. But I want to speak to you today on this idea of after God's own heart. What does it mean to be a person after the heart of God? In worship recently, whilst overseas, God began to speak to me about guarding my heart. And I was reminded again of the importance and responsibility that every single one of us have to watch over our hearts, to be vigilant, to be diligent about what is going on in our hearts. And while every season of life requires vigilance and diligence, some seasons in God that you go through demand more attention, demand more focus. And there are several reasons for that. One of the reasons for that is you're about to enter into a season of promotion. And whenever you enter into a season of promotion, Uh, there are landmines and a minefield to navigate. And so you need to guard your heart against pride or against uh, self-serving when you enter into seasons of transition. Uh, Many of you are in a transition uh, season right now. And when you're in a transition season, the only way that it can be empowering to you and the only way that it can actually serve the highest purposes of God in your life is if you watch over your heart. Transition is empowering when it's embraced from a God perspective in your heart. And I really do believe that God has us in, as a church and many individuals in a season of transition. We're transitioning into, we know that when a mother is about to give birth to a baby, they enter into a season of transition. When you're at that moment, many mums experience this idea of, I quit, I want to give up, I don't want to go through with this. Well, a little bit difficult, you can't, but because but, uh, that baby's coming. But 
Transition is actually about God birthing new things in our life. It's about God bringing us out of one season into another season. And there are particular boundary events in our life that could be small, medium or large that actually signify transition seasons. Uh, When there is impending spiritual attack, you need to guard your heart. We need to guard our heart always. But sometimes the Lord will forewarn you and and, and prepare you to actually be vigilant, to watch over your heart. The Bible talks about being sober-minded, be watchful. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so it's so important we understand that before God can take you further, He has to take you deeper. He can't take you further if He doesn't take you deeper. Because if He takes you further without taking you deeper, you're not going to be able to sustain what it is that God wants you to carry. Many people want to prematurely run ahead of their capacity or their spiritual maturity. And whilst God's given you a prophetic word and God's given you dreams and God's given you visions of what is to come, it's only the depth of the foundations of your life and in your heart in God that will actually sustain and determine the call and the anointing and the office that God wants you to carry in your life. I remember being at the Alabaster House of Prayer in California a year ago, two years ago, and the overwhelming word that God gave was from Psalm 42.7. Deep calls unto deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And it was a cry in my heart for a deeper intimacy, a deeper connection with the Holy Spirit. But there was also a cry in the depths of the heart of God to take me deeper into my fellowship, my friendship and my intimacy with Him. It's so important you understand that the depths of your heart will only be satisfied by the depths of God's heart. Many people are trying to satisfy the deep cry in their heart with lots of other things. But it's only as you open up the depths of your heart to the depths of the work of the Spirit in your life and to allowing God to transform your heart that that which you truly long for, the love that you truly need, will be met and satisfied in your heart. Your heart is the epicentre of God's passion. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, The Lord said to Samuel, Don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Speaking of David's elder brother, Eliab. He looked like a king. He worked like a warrior. He was trained to be a warrior. He had all of the external vital stat indicators of a man that was destined for great success in the nation of Israel. God looked at it and said, I've rejected it. Why? For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We tend to draw conclusions by external indicators, external appearances, how things appear, how things look, what the vital stats say, how it all appears often determines our approach. You need to know that whilst those things are okay, God essentially weighs the affections of our heart. He weighs the weightiness, the depths of our spirit and our maturity in Him to determine whether we are able by His grace and His anointing to carry what it is that He wants to entrust to us. And so Jesus was asked, which is the great commandment? He responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart. All your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. You can't love others if, if the love of God is not working in you and towards you. So if we're going to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength and mind, we need to understand something that intimacy with God is impossible without full engagement of your heart. You can give a compartment of your heart. You can give a room of your heart. But if you want to experience more of the fullness of God, 
then God has got to do a wholehearted transformation work in your heart. I'll talk about this tonight, but Ephesians 3 talks about knowing the love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Unless our hearts are fully engaged, full contact relationship with Jesus, we're not going to experience or receive of the fullness of who God is in our lives. God is far more interested in who you are becoming than in what you're achieving. And it's so important you understand that if what you're achieving is at the expense of who you're becoming, things are out of balance. Many people appear successful, doing great things in their career and in their life. And everyone around them thinks blessed, anointed, favoured, and yet their heart is actually shrinking and shrinking by the day, by the hour, by the promotion, by the pay raise. Why? Because they're giving so much to the external, they're not paying attention to the health and condition of their own hearts. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we need to understand that the heart is key to an accurate view of God. You want to perceive God? For who he is in your life and not just a Bible knowledge of him, but an accurate perception of who he is. It requires God to actually transform and deal with your heart. A defiled heart, a bitter heart, an impure heart, whatever it may be, will have a distorted vision of who God is. Many people carry around a very limited and restricted, distorted view of who God is. Because they have not got, allowed God to deal with the wounds and the hurts that are in their heart. And so they've walled their heart up. Church hurt, people hurt, family hurt, whatever it may be. And, and they haven't allowed the Spirit of God to actually minister to the depths in their heart. It will cause your view, your perception, your understanding of God to be out of alignment with who God actually is. And one of the most important responsibilities and job descriptions of Jesus while he was on earth was to give us a brilliant and accurate picture of who the Father is. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I believe one of the responsibilities of ministry, whether it's prophetic ministry, worship ministry, any ministry, is to actually be so full of the love of God and so full of the revelation of who God is that our ministry, our gifts, one of the Greek word for gifts is phanerosis. It means manifestation. Literally our gifts, our life, our heart, all that we are is a manifestation of the glory of Jesus. It's to present to the world a brilliant and accurate picture of who God is. But if we don't pay attention to our hearts, if we don't lift up the bonnet of our hearts and get beyond the external appearance of things, we will not be able to reflect who Christ is to a broken and hurting world. You need to understand there's a war that's raging for your affection. Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, um, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail. Now, whether you like it or not, sifting must come. If you haven't been sifted yet, don't worry, it's coming your way. We don't pray for it. We don't ask for it. No one wants it. But it's coming because we live in a broken world. John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Storms came in the parable uh, of... um, the wise man and the foolish man, storms came to both houses. The issue is what foundation was the house built upon? So whether you have a strong foundation or an unstable foundation, storms come to everyone. The issue is, is your response to what the sifting reveals in bringing the issues of your heart to the surface. And what sifting does and what storms do is they reveal areas of weaknesses, cracks in the foundation. 
things that are going on in our hearts, things that are going on in our, our lives that we don't even know are there. Have you ever bumped into a blind spot you didn't know was there and sort of like, I didn't know that was there. I didn't know that attitude was there. I didn't know that I thought that way, that I operated that way. You are to take great confidence and courage. If God is bringing things to the surface right now in your heart, it's because He trusts that you can handle it and you can go through the process. If you were not ready for that, it would not be coming to the surface. So rather than running away from the ugly blind spot that is being revealed to you, you are to run to Him and allow the mirror of His Word to actually shape you and mould you and cut off of you and rightly divide between soul and spirit of both joint and marrow and discern and judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Sifting must come. The issue is how we respond. How do we respond to the sifting process? And we've got to understand that God does not look at your behaviour alone. That's why Christianity is not simply about behaviour modification. It's about heart transformation. Is behaviour important? Of course. But God is primarily looking at the motivation of our hearts. What's the condition of our hearts? What's the motivation of our hearts? Because you can be a, a Pharisee and a religious leader and know the Torah, the first five books of the Bible backwards. You can observe all of the laws and the things that, that you think are, are expected of you and even add to them. And yet Jesus said of the Pharisees in John 8, 44, you are sons of the devil. Yeah. They had all the right behaviour, but their, the motivation of their hearts was wrong. It was filled with pride. It was filled with self-seeking. They were more after the nature and character of their father, the devil, than the father that saved them and baptised them and, yeah. and, and by faith brought them into being. Heart motivation matters to God. Why you do what you do is really important. Because your heart is where life springs from. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance or diligence, for out of it flow the springs of life. So important we understand that our lives are lived from the inside out, not the outside in. A lot of people change the external symptoms of their life. You know, change their bodies, change their fashion, change gyms, change jobs, change, change everything. And they think, if we change enough external things, I need a holiday, go on a vacation, great. You come back from vacation, you're, you're still carrying you with you. Yeah. Yeah. Ever come back from vacation, you're like, reality. <laughs> People change churches. They go, oh, you know, go to another church. And same symptoms manifest. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, it's not, the issue isn't with the church. The issue is we're not allowing God to deal with the root symptoms. And so life is lived from the inside out, not the outside in. What a spirit of religion seeks to do is to control behaviour through performance orientation. So if we perform right, we're like a robot and we do all the things that we do within our particular tradition and we look the part and all looks good, life must be amazing. And yet under the surface of the spirit of religion is the pit of hell. What relationship with Jesus does, it doesn't modify your behaviour, it deals with the root issues of your heart. It seeks to transform you into his likeness. This is why 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about as we behold him and his glory, we're conformed to the image of his son, we're transformed, metamorphosis, we're transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So your focus, if you want to be transformed at the root core issues of your heart, don't focus on performing, focus on beholding. So if you've got a problem with pride, stare at the humility of Jesus. If you have a problem with uh, greed, stare at, the, 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 at who Jesus is and his generosity of heart. 
and he's long-suffering. You got an issue with impatience, stare at the patience of Jesus. Whatever your particular issue or challenge is, there is a counter ministry of the Spirit that as you behold him in relationship, he transforms you. You can only white knuckle it for so long until your attempt to modify your behaviour will blow you up. You actually have to experience a transformation in your heart. Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we are tripartite beings, spirit, soul and body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It enables your spirit and your soul to interact with the earthly realm. Your soul made up of your mind, your emotions and your will is what is like the control mechanism or the control centre of body and spirit. Your spirit is what is being uh, uh, regenerated and renewed by the work of Jesus' blood, shed blood on the cross and the person and power of the Holy Spirit sanctifying you in your life. And the key after you get saved is to bring your soul, your mind, emotions and will through the cultivation of your heart into alignment with your new creation spirit, your new creation reality. So that's why you can be saved and still wrestle and struggle with carnal thinking because your mind, emotions and will aren't coming into direct alignment in transformation to the new man, the new person of the spirit that lives inside of you. That's why Paul says, don't be conformed to the spirit or pattern or mould of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Both the mind, will, emotions and the conscience of your spirit is what makes up your heart. And your heart is at that intersection point of spirit and soul. Concerning the mind, Jesus said this in Matthew 9, 4. Why are you thinking evil thoughts in your heart? So an expression of our hearts is the thoughts of our mind when it comes to the will. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. You form intention in your will. So the will is involved in your, the expression or cultivation of your heart. When it comes to emotions, a lot of people say, just ignore your emotions. And a, a, a lot of Aussie men think it's strong and manly and tough to ignore your emotions. But God gave you emotions and feelings to actually develop and cultivate and pay attention to. We're not to be mastered by them, but neither are we to ignore them. They are given to you for the expressed intent for you to experience the fullness of life. And as they come in under the Lordship of Jesus, you can express your emotions in a very real and authentic way without condemnation and without shame, but also knowing that even my emotions need to come under the Lordship of Jesus, whatever that means at any given time. That's why it says in uh, John 16, 22, that our hearts can rejoice. God wants you and I to feel even the emotion of ecstatic rejoicing and praise and, and the fruit of the spirit of joy in our lives as our emotions are sanctified and we're learning to, to cultivate our hearts. Then you have conscience. Hebrews 10.22 says, Our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. We need to pay attention to the knock, knocking of the door on our conscience. The knocking of the door on our hearts. We need to pay attention to the consistent promptings of the Spirit in our conscience. If you don't pay attention to your conscience, you can develop what we call a seared conscience. Where actually no longer are you sensitive to the Spirit or the conviction or the promptings of the Spirit, but actually your conscience is becoming calloused. And your conscience is becoming hard. And this is where you see that people actually step into and develop like a rolling snowball down a hill. It just generates more and more momentum into darkness and depravity is because somewhere back there, every single one of us, even if you are not restored, regenerated by the work of the Spirit, started to ignore conscience. 
And we say, how could that serial killer, how could that person do that? How could that happen? Well, it's because they ignored the prompting here and it snowballed. And they ignored it and they got a seared conscience and then they opened a doorway of defilement and then the demonic gets in and you're on your way. This is how darkness begins to get a foothold in people's lives. So your heart is the centre of your affections. Luke 6.43, it says, No good tree bears bad fruit, neither does a bad tree bear good fruit. So if there's good fruit, it means there's a good root. If there's a bad fruit, it means the source of the root system of your heart is inherently unhealthy. If you don't like the fruit that life is throwing to you, then don't just simply change the fruit, change the external symptoms. You've got to deal with the root cause issues. And you've got to ask the Holy Spirit to actually begin to transform you at your core. Modifying behaviour to address bad fruit is a little bit like someone with a bad cough going to the pharmacy or the chemist and getting cough medicine. They're just covering, they're just addressing. I found it probably doesn't work. Unless the person who maybe they have a lifestyle cause factor as to why they have a persistent bad cough. They could be a chain smoker. There could be an inherent disease or issue in their lungs. Whatever it is, unless we deal and change the root core issues, the symptoms aren't going to change. And a lot of people think if we just modify and performance orientate our behaviour, life will change. We all have default settings in our heart. We need the Spirit of God to search our hearts, test our minds and renew our hearts. Why? Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You can't even understand your own heart. So the the advice that says just follow your heart is the worst advice that you could ever get. You don't understand your own heart. Who does? The answer comes back from the prophet. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. I've learned in the womb of prayer and in the place of worship, to be suspicious of my own heart. Lord, I need you to come and rip back that veil of any darkness or deception that is there. I need you to put the floodlight of your illuminating word upon my heart. If there are things that I'm thinking, entertaining, that's not of you. God, come and flood my being with your word. There is an inherent deception in the heart. That apart from God's illuminating floodlight, we will continue down a pathway of deception. This is why I believe the word is so critical. It's not just the knowledge of the word. It's the meditation and cultivation of the spiritual formation of God's word in your life. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word, your rhema word, your inspired word, your revelation is like a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. It's a metaphor for how you and I to live our lives in in the illumination of God's truth in our hearts. David got this in Psalm 139, 23. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, one of the strategies that God uses to bring to the surface issues in our heart that we don't even know are there is divine delay. And this is where King Saul and 1 Samuel 13 comes in. You're like, why did we read about Saul? Because Saul didn't fully understand or know what was going on in his heart. And God used divine delay to reveal what was going on in his heart and to reveal a change of season, a shift, a transition. It says in verse 8 that Saul waited seven days, the time appointed by the prophet. But guess what happened? The prophet didn't show up. 
Pastor Corey, you prophesied the word and it hasn't been fulfilled yet. Can I come down for another prophecy and you can fix my whole life up? Well, I've had this word now for a week, a year, a month, 10 years, whatever it may be. Hasn't been fulfilled yet. Mustn't be true. It mustn't be correct. Oh no, Samuel was coming, but Saul was experiencing divine delay. Because God had another story, he had another narrative, he had another plot in play. Because it wasn't just about Israel and the enemies and the victory. God was interested in what was going on in Saul's heart. And so because the word wasn't coming to pass, the prophet wasn't coming to town and waving the magic wand, getting the sacrifice ready so that we can go against the enemy's camp, King Saul forces himself in his flesh to offer up that which only the prophet could offer up. In other words, his fear of man led to him leaning on the arm of his flesh. Jeremiah 17, 5 says this, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. This is what happens in divine delay. It reveals who we trust in. And there's only one of two options. There's not three or four, only one of two. If you're not in pursuit of God's heart, you'll be in pursuit of yours. It's not that you're in pursuit of the angel Gabriel's heart or you're in pursuit of the church's heart. No, no. You're either in pursuit of God's heart or you're in pursuit of yours. There aren't many roads or options to heaven. One. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. I hear that all the time about, well, we're all on the same path. We're all going. No, no, we're not. Jesus said there is a narrow path and there's a broad path. There's a narrow gate and there's a broad gate. One road leads to death, the other leads to life. So we're either in pursuit of God's heart or we're in pursuit of our heart. And Saul's heart and what was going on there that he doesn't even fully understand. He actually lacks a lot of emotional intelligence. He doesn't understand What's actually going on in his heart? He's just impulsively responding to the default settings of pride and fear. And so when pride gets exposed, oh, the people are scattering from me, his fear drives him to his flesh. To do that which he knows he shouldn't be doing because the prophet is the one. And as a result, the kingdom was torn away from him. You cannot receive the fullness of God's favour on your life through partial obedience. And the more you go on, the stakes get higher. You want big favour, big cost, big obedience. It's going to feel like they're in the surgery room right now. One of the quickest ways to receive of God's favour in your life is to trust God when you don't understand. Divine delay will be at times like a fog of war. You can't see through to the other side. And what God will do is he'll come to you and say, I'm taking you somewhere you can't see. Trust me with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all of your ways. Not you, not you controlling your paths. I will straighten your paths. How many of us love to meddle with the paths? We're control freaks. And if you think you aren't, you are. (laughs) All of us. I'm not sure I can trust you, God. I'm not sure about this. I'll tell you, at least I know. I'd rather live with my dirty nappy than get free and smell well. 
It's true. We'd rather control the bad smell of our hearts than let God change the theme and the fragrance of our hearts. And the greatest tests of your faith will be when you can't see in the midst of divine delays. That's why no one really quotes Hebrews 6.12. It's through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. Everyone's like, it's by faith. We love the faith chapter. By faith, Moses. By faith, Enoch. By faith. Well, Hebrews 6 says it's through faith and patience because one of the greatest, most important, significant tests of your faith is how long can you persevere? Who else here struggles with impatience? Just come out your lying spirit. I was driving yesterday like through Eastland Shopping Centre and let's just say Jesus needed to take the wheel. It's raining. Like I'm like, people do not know how to drive. Seriously. It's like, it's just slow. This person's like, you know, 30k below, blocking everything. And, it, and it's like, oh my gosh. And I'll be honest, I hit the horn. I'm sorry. I, I'm like, there are some days I've got stuff to do, places to go, people to meet. I'm sorry, but today you're getting it. You are getting it. And then Josh is like, Dad, I've noticed since coming back from the Autobahn in Germany, you're a little bit reckless and impatient. Holy Spirit, sanctify me. I'm yelling turkey out the window. I'm like, this is my dad. I am reproducing my father wound right now. We've all been there. Impatience while driving is one thing. How does know when it comes to impatience for things that the Lord's promised you have spoken over your life? You can't see it. I've been there. We've been there many times. God spoke a word, God spoke a prophecy or a promise or he gave you a vision, a revelation and, and, and you see it from a distance and everything within you. I remember when I got a word and, and I went around, true story, back year 2001, I went around and visited pastors and were finding out whether they were going to move on and if they wanted to hand it over to me. True story. I, I'm so embarrassed that I did that. I mean, I was under the guise of getting to know them, but I had an ulterior motive. And I remember after like the fifth or sixth pastor, because I was avoiding planting a church. And after the fifth or sixth pastor, I'm like, I surrender. And uh, okay, whatever you want. It's through faith and patience. If you want the best of what God wants for you, it requires faith and patience. Unfortunately, Saul did not pass that test. And so God says, I'm seeking a man after my own heart. I want to say to every single one of us today, God is still seeking people after his own heart. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, God's eyes run to and fro across the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to Him. God is looking in our generation for people to trust great responsibility to. And He is not looking for talent because He can give that. He's not looking for perfection because there is only one we've been singing who is perfect and who is holy. God is looking for a heart after His own heart. Could there be a greater commendation in all of the Bible, in all of life, than I found a man, I found a woman After my own heart. What does that mean? It doesn't mean they were perfect. Both King Saul and King David sinned greatly. Saul got rejected. David got accepted. Why? Because David was honest. He was broken. And he was willing to do whatever was necessary for the presence of God to be restored. Not only in his own life, but in Israel. And God said, that boy is my boy. He's my man after my own heart. 
because I can come and I can heal and I can restore and I can work with him. But I'm looking for someone that is willing to be genuinely honest and repentant and broken and contrite and will forsake all for my presence. When he finds that person, there is nothing that he will withhold from them except that which will harm them. You would be surprised at how generous God wants to be in your life. But he withholds certain things from you because it would blow you up. And you pray for stuff and he goes, well, I'm going to have to do surgery on your heart so that you can become the answer for that. I pray. I prayed for things we're walking now 25 years ago. It took 20 years, 25 years to be in a place. And I don't even feel like I'm still ready, but God apparently does. And of cultivation of the heart, of things that God wanted to do inside of me. You see, to be after God's own heart means to be in pursuit of the Father's heart. Psalm 27, 4, it says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Notice he didn't say ten things I do. Two things I do. He said one thing. What's your one thing? Ah, my career. Ah, my kids. That's important, but that's not the one thing. Ah, my ministry. That's, that's, That's good. That's important. That's not your one thing. Ministry comes and goes. My one thing. So to be a person after God's own heart is, are you in pursuit of the Father's heart? Secondly, a person after God's own heart prioritises the Father's heart. Psalm 27, 8, you've said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. How quickly do you obey or respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to seek his heart? Spiritual maturity is often measured in the gap between God's word and your obedience. How long does it take for you to respond? And when the stakes are higher and the matters are weightier, it'll be a process. There'll be a deliberation. But, But spiritual maturity isn't just measured by, can you read minds? Can you see visions? Can you heal the sick? Can you raise the dead? Every single believer in this room is called to raise the dead, heal the sick, preach the gospel, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. That is not the measure of your spirituality. Jesus said you can do all that, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. We're nothing. Many shall come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this miracle? Do that prophecy, cast out that, depart from me, I never knew you. So apparently maturity has to do something to do with your revelation of God's love for you, your love for God, your knowledge of Him, not a head knowledge, but a heart experience of Him. That to the degree that you allow God to transform you is actually the degree to which you become spiritually mature. And there should be this quickening and acceleration of God's promptings in your heart and you opening the door. It's like I was in the car in Sydney the other week with our host driver going to another meeting to preach and I had all this money in my pocket and it was his birthday and I knew what was coming. (laughs) I knew it. Still in pain about it. And, and, And the Lord's like, I want you to give him all the cash. And I said, but, and he said, give it to him. Yes. Okay. Here we go again. <laughs> giving reluctantly is actually better than not giving at all. Because at least you're honest. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, Jesus. <laughs> oh, he was blessed. He was really blessed. <laughs> and this is what the Lord said. Do you trust me? I said, Lord, you know I do. Only you have the words of life. I trust you. 
I got 30 times more within one week. He's no man's debtor. He's not a man that he should lie. His love and generosity is lavish towards you. He's just looking for someone to prioritise his heart, to trust him. I really believe early in the 9am when Pastor Simone's talking about fear often stops us from giving. I believe there's been a spirit of fear that has stopped people giving and honouring God with their tithe and their offerings not just our church, right across the church of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name, I pray that that spirit of fear that has come on you about your finances, that it will be broken over your life today because God is he's holding back the vault of heaven to open it up over your life because He wants you to trust Him. And you're withholding and you're holding back. And God's like, do you realise the, the warehouses in heaven that I have stored up for you, that you're going to get to heaven and he's going to open up a door and go, that warehouse, that warehouse, that warehouse was all for you. But you thought you knew better. So you withheld and you did this and you did that. I would have given. He said to David, if that wasn't enough, David, I would have given you so much more. That revelation blows my mind. All you had to do, David, was ask. Why? Because you're a man after my own heart. My favour is on you. Just ask. And then when I ask you to do this and ask you to do that, because you do trust me and you do love me, you release. And then I go, here's more. Is this speaking to anyone today? A person after God's own heart protects the Father's heart. You say, well, David sinned greatly. Yeah, but he said, Psalm 51.10, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He owned it. He said, God, I want to protect your heart. And even after this, he did things against God. He took a census when he shouldn't have. He got caught up in the vital stats. How many warriors, how many people are in the church? Most pastors are very much like David. And I can tell you here, our number one consuming focus, the greatest vital step, is God's presence here. Because you can, I preach in churches of 10,000, 20,000. I preach in churches of five, 10 people. And the church of five, 10 people, the presence of God was there. In the 10, 20,000, not a lick. It's not about size. It's about posture of the heart. This is a sharp word today, man. So are you in pursuit of? Are you prioritising? Are you protecting? And are you producing the fruit after the Father's heart? What does producing, what what does the fruit of the Father's heart look like? It looks like brokenness and contriteness. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. It's not just external fruit. If you just remain in Him, John 15, 16, you're going to produce fruit. Why? He's appointed you to it. If you're not producing any fruit, it's not because He's not appointed you to it, it's because something's blocking getting in the way. The true fruit of the Father's heart is softness, tenderness. A soft heart is the most underrated superpower of the kingdom of God. And and, and Aussie blokes think that, you know, if we ignore emotion and we're tough and we're all manly, that, you know, this is what it looks like to be a man. David, read the Psalms, pouring his heart out to the Lord. One moment he's lopping heads off old lofty giant, right, saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? The next moment he's writing, oh God, my God, I earnestly, my flesh faints for you. It's like a romantic love song to God. That's what it means to be a person of strength and softness, tenderness, and also terror to the enemy's camp. It's not either or, it's both and. 
The only way that can be cultivated is if you pursue, prioritise, protect, and then produce the Father's heart. So as the heart can be exercised towards evil, it can be exercised towards God. How is that? Let me give you one or two, and then we're going to go and have a great lunch. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Be honest with God. Be honest with others. Journal your thoughts and feelings. Maybe you can't express everything to a third party because of the intricate details of what's going on, but you can journal with the Lord. You say, I'm not into that. Well, get into it. Get into it. Get your phone. Record your journal to the Lord and just pour your heart out. You have to get it out. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Number two, by faith, turn your heart to the Lord. Why? Because when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. There is a veil over all of our hearts. But when we turn to Him and we bring our wounds to the cross and we bring our pain to the cross and we enter into the divine exchange and we forgive from our hearts and we repent of sin, the veil is removed. And the things that are occupying our heart, dominating our heart, begins to shift and change. Next, number three, you need to meditate upon the Word. David said in Psalm 119, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Many of us read God's word for information and not spiritual formation. Reading God's word for spiritual transformation may mean you don't get through your annual Bible reading plan. But it may mean you become more like Jesus. The goal isn't to complete the task. The goal is to encounter Him. So I could spend an hour in worship and in intimacy with the Lord before I get that one rhema inspired word. Turn to this passage. Yesterday, I was in, in the, it took me about 90 minutes in the presence of the Lord and I heard John 21 and I spent the next hour in John 21. I'm preaching John 21 tonight. Why? Because God's rhema word came and lit something up inside of me. Are you reading for information or are you reading for transformation? Take time, meditate upon it, mutter it out loud, muse over it, let digest it, let it become a part of you. The goal isn't to read through the Bible. The goal is for the Bible to read through you. And finally, receive a renewed heart after God. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, and I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. This is the thing about becoming a person after God's own heart. You can't make yourself one. You can posture your heart. You can respond to God out of the pure motivation of your heart, but only God can make you one. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. We pray that you have been blessed by today's message. Please follow us on our social media platforms and visit our website, numa.church.